Welcome to the Atlanta Startup Podcast. I'm Lisa Calhoun, General Manager at Valor Ventures and your host for today's deep dive with an investor that has been working actively in the Southeast for quite some time. Kyle, I'm so glad to have you with me on the program. Thanks for coming. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm very excited. So I'm Kyle Schlotman, Managing Partner of Kinetic Ventures. Been with the firm as a co-founder for six years. Before Kinetic, I worked at a data analytics firm for six years and Wall Street for three. We are an early stage venture fund that focuses mostly on what people call the flyover country in the seed and series A space. Kyle, tell our listeners a little bit about Kinetics and yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I stood with our investors. Um, we had as much money in as everybody else. And we didn't take salaries for four plus years. So um, we were there as part, part of the team and to show them that we would do what we could. Fund one went well. It started hyper local and kind of evolved into a regional. I met you, Lisa, during this process of kind of going down to the south a little bit more from Kentucky. And we kind of realized we needed a, a way to be everywhere at once. And fun two two years ago, uh, we took what was a hobby into a reality and we created Wendell. Um, it's an online bot. It sits on the Microsoft Azure platform. Uh, myself, Brad, and then a partner of ours, um, Joe Went, who ran Moneyball for the Reds, created this. Um, it started off as a a small little project that was on our website. And as we were fundraising, everybody thought it was quite frankly, better than Kinetic. Um, so Wendell Inc. now exists as its own standalone. Um, it's a completely unbiased solution for investing. Uh, last year, I'm actually looking at the numbers. We had 1200 plus companies um, click on our website and go to Wendell. You know, we did 23 new deals and nine follow-ons last year. Um, so a pretty low percentage. But the, the coolest thing that's happened is the um, equality of distribution of checks. I remember meeting you at Startup Runway, I think in its very first year. And you guys were just getting started. Valor Fund 1 was still raising. We were just getting started. Now here we both are. You're in the middle of Fund 2. Valor just started investing Fund 2. And you all have already come up with an AI solution to deal flow. Before we talk more about Wendell, which I think is super exciting, I remember the first version of it because I clicked through it too. I was super curious. I want to talk a little bit about the nature of sourcing from your perspective because Kinetics has thought a lot about it. Why did you and Brad Zapp over at Kinetics feel like a digital front would be a better solution than the traditional venture seeing a pitch? Associates call out, see pitches, great pitches get forwarded to the investment committee. Investment committee goes green or red, you know, diligence, you know, why is a digital front end better? There was probably three main reasons. One, you know, fund one was 5.6 million, fund two is just under 25. So we're not big firm and we don't, you know, we can't pay 20 associates to be in the 20 biggest markets across the US, Midwest. Um, we don't invest in San Francisco or Boston, but you know, everywhere else we will. So part of it was scale. And obviously to scale, you need some type of cloud-based solution. In the absence of having someone in every market, Wendell, the software can be open and available to everyone. So that was problem one. Problem two was deal flow in itself. I think most regions and most areas outside of, I'll call it New York, Boston, San Francisco, have a deal flow problem. Couldn't focus in Cincinnati. Um, we did the math. We looked at everything. We needed 100 Cincinnati's to equal San Francisco's deal flow. Again, scale and cloud-based solutions. Obviously, we have to drive the people to the website, but that, that was the big thing. And lastly, we just thought the venture model was broke. It's Brad. It's one of Brad's favorite slides, but in our old pitch deck, he basically had a slide of uh, 12 Angry Men, the really old movie, black and white movie. Uh, yeah, I remember the, it. Jury. 
And he goes, this is basically what a venture capital investment committee looks like. 12 <laughs> old white men sitting in a room, having no idea what technology is and saying, I don't think this will work for me. So it's not a good idea. And we wanted to get away from that. So our view was let's use data and let's use rationale to look at these companies. And all we've done is really, we replaced the associate call with a interaction with an online bot. What has the founder reaction been? Because I, I bet you can relate to my experience. My experience is that, you know, a few dozen founders contact Fowler every week, and we're grateful for that. And yet we don't have, like you, the bandwidth. We've closed on 20 million in fund two while we're recording this. We don't have the bandwidth in our team to have one-on-one conversations with every founder that would like to reach out to Valor. So there's definitely a filter process that happens before we have the one-on-one. The founders who don't get a chance to actually speak to someone, though, they don't like that. At least that's that's my experience at Valor. They feel, wow, you know, I was so hopeful for at least a a crumb of guidance or explain a little bit to me about the process. And frankly, it's one of the reasons we started Startup Runway. The foundation is to have those very early founders go through an investor introduction program that's completely aligned around talking to them about investor relations and getting that first check. But neither here nor there. How's the reaction been for you? What are some of the results from Wendell and this approach? You know, overall, the reaction's been great. There are the outliers that get extremely upset that, you know, they talk to a bot and it's usually, I don't know, call it 72 hours, three business days. If you're not a fit for Kinetic, you'll, you'll get a notification. The one thing I will say to everyone is Wendell does not auto pass or auto fail anyone. There is a human that looks at the data and the scores. So, you know, it's not just going into a black box and spitting out information. Overall, again, I'm going to take out the New Yorks, the Bostons and the San Francisco's that are used to the way things are done and have so much money that it's just that way. We get very positive feedback. And some of our more positive feedback is from the people that do fail. It's really a, they find out very quick. Lisa, as you probably know, a lot of venture firms string people along. They don't give them an answer. Like they don't know what they want. I mean, like just say no. I mean, we may say no too fast, but we say no. And I agree with you that it is a failing in our industry, not to tell founders where they stand. It's gutless. And I know why we do it. We do it so that we can string someone along. If they raise a great round later, we never said no. So maybe we can hop on board. That's not a, that's not great though. That's not the best way to do it. Yeah. And for us, you know, what's really happened is founders understand that we have principles and a process that we built and every company is being evaluated the same way every time. So it's really not a problem. They, they think it's okay. You know, we do get feedback and people love our principles. So the same way every time, no one's being evaluated. I sometimes like if you send me a company and tell me, I'll know it's yours. But at the end of the day, we've built a system that every company, regardless of where you are, race, gender, identity, whatever you want to, you know, use as a qualifier, they get asked the same questions. It depends on how you put in the information. And do you ask questions about race and gender on the front no, end? No, it's more we find out later. Done some research and going back to, to why an online solution, and I talked about those investment committees, there is data that you know some of the underrepresented groups don't get asked the same questions from an investment committee for whatever reason. Uh, this avoids that. So you know it, it's really been great and we get a lot of founders coming back. So our system will notify us if somebody comes in and updates valuation, hire somebody new. Because um, one of our big things is we built our own behavioral analysis test um, that is unbiased. It's been validated. So, you know, we'll be notified and we actually will invest in companies that might have hit Wendell 12 months ago for the next round. 
So it's not a permanent no. And I think people have come to understand that. Fascinating. And so what happens after Wendell gives you a pretty positive signal? How would a founder move forward in your process? I'm sure we have several founders listening right now that are like, hmm, okay. Um, first off, I guess we should ask, where's the URL in case anyone yeah. wants to jump to applying to Kinetics Fund? Absolutely. So it's it's right on our website. So www.kinetic.ventures. That's C-O-N-N-E-T-I-C dot ventures. There's a big button in the middle of our website that says apply for funding. It'll direct you to Wendell. And then it's just like any other website you register. We do ask that you, you know, all of your founders. So anyone that's, uh, especially early stage, they all have some type of C title. All put, go in there and take the behavioral test. Um, again, it's that was created by us. Uh, Brad and I took about 60 tests to figure out what we wanted to do. And we finally found found something called the vector analysis from the 1940s and built it ourselves. Um, we had a behavioral psychologist from Xavier and one from TCU evaluate it and it is accurate. It is not biased towards any age, race, gender, anything that you can come up with, which has been great. So I, you know, anyone can apply. So what happens for anyone that's been in the finance world and knows what Morningstar is, basically companies go through this, they do the six pathways and we get a star rating. So based on how many points you get, you get, it's a star rating. I always say we've created venture for anyone because it's really simple. And basically my team knows if you're four stars or above, they're going to reach out to you. If you're three stars and under, it's just not a fit for Kinetic. Um, for one of, you know, we get about 1200 data points per company. So it could be a, a, co a combination of many things, but assuming you're four star, it could be within 24 hours. It won't be, it won't be more than three business days. Um, someone from my team will reach out to you depending on what region uh, of the country and or world you're in. And we'll send you a list of it's 18 or 22 documents. It's always evolving, but basically anything you tell us in Wendell, we audit. So if you said your revenue is X, we're going to ask for your financial statements, your tax returns. And you know, if you say your option pool is 12%, I want to see where you created an option pool. So it's really just validating um, what you've done. At that point, we will have a conversation with the founder. That's about the first time uh, we find out if the founder is a male, female, race, whatever it is. Also, the interesting thing outside of telling us what general industry your company is doing, I don't know what your company actually does in terms of a business when it's three, four, five star. All I know is you're an industry that's good. You're a founder that we think is possible to run and your valuation's right. And then we dive into everything else. So it's kind of different. Um, we know we're different, but our view is everyone has said in venture, the team matters. And we asked how or why do you do that? We found a way to analytically analyze the team and we look at the team and valuation and assuming that's good and we like the industry and business you're in, we'll, get, we'll move forward. How long does it take a founder to go through the initial application? It shouldn't take more than 20 minutes. I think the average is 10 to 12. I mean, it's all basic questions that yeah. you should so know. Each founder takes 10 to 20 minutes to go through. Oh, no, not each founder. So usually if the CEO t fills it out, he's he or she's 15, 20 minutes. The behavioral analysis is six minutes at the longest. Awesome. And so this gives a lot of confidence to your team at Kinetic that this is the type of founder who's, in your belief, correlated with greater success. And so I know that some of this information is really private and it's not like your venture firm has been around for 40 years and it has funds and funds and funds to talk about. But what are some of the early signs that give you encouragement that you and Brad are on the right path? We actually have conclusion metrics. So every six months, we analyze all of the data. So of the 1200 companies that applied, we have quarter of them that have had an outcome. And the way we look at outcomes is really basic right now, good deal, bad deal. We have an intern every six months kind of go through all available market data and say, okay, this company has failed completely, you know, gone bankrupt or something like that. Or a company 
company has raised another big round um, or they've exited. So we've done that. And just looking at four-star companies, if I just blindly pick them, we'd be at 40% of companies are good deals, which is higher than the normal market and the and venture. If I look at five-star companies, and this is not taking the profile side, this is just overall window score, 65% of five-star companies have had a positive outcome. I could blindly just choose those and not even do anything else. When I overlay the behavioral side, it actually gets to about 85, 90% on five-star. So what do you call a positive outcome? Either an exit, which is an obvious positive outcome. Um, you know, we're or seed, you know, depends on the market. Seed, bridge to A, you know, whatever growth, you know, growth. What kind seed. of check size range does Kinetic like to write out of the second fund? Yeah, so um, we do two or three checks. So the first check's always a hundred grand. Um, it's just a very simple, easy process. We're going to do that eighty times. We've done it forty-five, so we still have, you know, call it thirty-five checks left in fund one. Um, so of those eighty, thirty of them will get a follow-on, or thirty-two, depending on the real math, but somewhere in there, we'll get a follow-on. We're going to do up to 600 in companies, assuming the follow-on rounds equity, which, you know, every venture capitalist prefers equity over a note or a safe, um, you'll get the full 500. If it's a note or a safe, we do 250 and hold the 250 back for, for the equity round to make sure you're, you're still, you know, showing progress. But um, total of 600, 100, 500 is the easiest way to, to think about it. So in a way, this is perhaps the follow-on strategy in the Southeast. It reminds me a lot of correlation ventures. Did you all look at their model as you went into this? We did not. I think we stumbled. We've, we heard about them after we started. Um, so we've stumbled on, I think, some of the same thesis. Uh, you know, we did a lot of Monte Carlo analysis. We studied a lot of, you know, reports and just looked at distributions and, you know, Kauffman Institute, and it just kind of made sense. Um, we've de-risked the portfolio and we realized by de-risking the portfolio, by having that many companies, um, you don't actually give up the return. So it made, we wanted to get to a hundred. We just didn't, with COVID, um, we didn't, we didn't get to the full number we wanted to hit to in the fund. So um, we picked 80 companies instead of a hundred, but, you know, a hundred was our, our actual target goal to be able to invest in fund two. And what are, since you don't even meet the founders until they're really far forward in your process, how have the demographics evolved in your portfolio using this process? Um, it, it's definitely evolved. I think fund one, you know, I would say I could look at it, but just off the top of my head, call it 30 to 40%. Look, that was about low 30s were women and minority um, led companies. We started using some type of a process towards the end. So I think it kind of skewed the results. Fund two has been all window as of yesterday, because I had investment committee. So I saw the data uh, 54% of our portfolio companies are co-founded or led by a female or minority um, leader, which is obviously significantly higher than the market that averages six or 7% kind of showing that by you know, all we do is look for the best companies and the best people. Um, I don't know who you are. I don't really care who you are. I just, I want a good founder that's going to, you know, grow a great business and, and drive a return for my investors. Absolutely. And what kind of relationship does Kinetic have with founders after that first $100,000 check? You know, I, I say a lot of it depends on the founder. Some founders, you know, we write small checks, you know, we don't have the right to be on the board usually, or wield a ton of influence contractually, like a lot of venture firms, but at least twice a year, I'm going to have phone calls with, with all of them. You know, they send monthly or quarterly updates. I'm on four boards personally. I think there's some companies I probably talk to the founder twice a week. There's some, there's some companies I talk to the founder once a quarter. I'm as involved as the portfolio company wants me to be. Um, you know, we've done a lot in the CPG space in the last year and a half. Uh, I worked at a data analytics company. Um, 
um, that oversaw retail and CPG. One of my co-founders did the same. So, you know, that's a space where I'm on boards. I'm having calls with them all the time. Uh, healthcare, uh, when we were talking about it earlier, I wouldn't get involved. I don't have that much to do other than, you know, a financial check and introductions. You know, we do have a health system as one of our investors, but um, it really just depends. I, I let the founder dictate how much they want us involved. So what have you learned about being a venture capitalist in these last six years since you made, I always, you know, there are a lot of rising venture capitalists in the Southeast because our region has so much momentum. And I think it's one of the most exciting dynamic things about being here. A lot of those emerging VCs are looking for the lessons learned, the do's and don'ts, and not to say there are shortcuts. Is there anything you've learned the last six years that you wish you could have told yourself year one or first 18 months? I would say the most important thing now, assuming you already are a venture capitalist and have a fund, is know the co-investors in the board. Um, it's a very, under, you know, when you start out, you don't think about it, you th- you know, and I was just spent all this time talking about the founder. Your co-investors in the board matter. Um, you want to make sure you all have the same vision. We're going through it now with a portfolio company. Um, it's mostly angels. The founders are, while they're not married, we're calling it a founder divorce. You know, they don't get along and it's like, you know, it's, they got the 12 million in revenue and there's no reconciling the situation. Angel investors are ecstatic. They're going to get, you know, 10, 15% return. I think if they would have waited three more years, it would have been a four or five X for us, but you know, it's, you got to know your co-founders and you got to make sure everyone's in for the journey that you want. Um, especially the board, you know, they wield so much influence on the founders and, um, not being aligned with your co-investors. Um, I also think, especially in our underserved market, there's a lot of state and city and whatever funds. Um, sometimes they're more of an economic engine view versus a investor return view, um, which can also, I think, skew the results for a company or the decisions they make. It's really important to know who your co-investors are and that you're on that same vision. That's great advice. And you, know, you prefaced what you were saying with assuming you already have a fund, but you and Brad have been building the funds together. So I'd like to pull back into that fundraising perspective. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people who are called into investing that don't have a fund yet. Any advice for that you would give them or that you might have given yourself when you were fundraising that you know now? And again, I understand this is all lessons learning. I mean, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, right. at the end of the day, it's getting involved. You know, Brad and I joined between the two of us, I think seven angel groups just to learn network and, you know, figure out what this all meant. Um, just get involved. And, you know, especially if you're a younger person or women or minority, it's really um, a lot of these angel groups and funds have lower entry points um, for people that are younger than aren't your typical 45 plus year old white male. You know, there's just so much opportunity and just put yourself out there. It's it's uncomfortable. You know, I said it earlier, Brad and I didn't take salary, haven't take salaries for a few years. I mean, it really is just, you got to try and the network, it's small and it's friendly. I know, you know, we have a, an employee and she gets nervous sometimes because she's newer to the, to the industry. And I tell her, I was like, you know, more than 95% of the people you're in the room with because you're a full-time venture capitalist and you just welcome people with our open arms. We're friendly. We're nice. We want more people to grow in this industry. And all you have to do is show up and raise your hand and say you're interested and, and people will take you under your wing. So true. You know, a lot of times I think founders look at Crunchbase, look at the funds around them. And especially in the Southeast, they see fewer first, you know, first check writers. Right. They look at the West Coast, they see 800, in theory, first check writers. If they're still living out there on the West Coast, y'all welcome here, come on. But anyway, there's such a disparity that I feel like the venture capital industry can appear to be too emerging for, for some of our best founders. Are there some venture capital networking groups that you yourself have found 
found to be particularly helpful in these last few years that you'd recommend? Yeah, especially for people new to the market. I mean, what you've done with Startup Runway is great. Um, I thought that you know it was amazing to see the growth and the evolution. There's Carolina Angels um, in the South that you know uh, we have one of our investors. He's part of the Charleston Group as well because he has a, a home down there. I love the guys at Queen City FinTech um, in Charlotte. Uh, they're great Packard Place. You know, they've done some great stuff in Cincinnati. We've got Queen City Angels that are you know I think are some of the best. I mean, Brad and I learned so much from them in terms of understanding and evaluating deals. And, you know, they're extremely welcoming. Um, you know, these are the groups to reach out to. Um, there's tons of, and, you know, I'm obviously, I'm from the Cincinnati market. There's a centri- there's centrifuge here, but that kind of does the startup Cincy ecosystem and, you know, it has events to welcome founders in. Every major city has one of these now. Like I said, it's really just going and networking. You know, we, we're a small community and we know most of the people in our communities. If you show a true interest and want to learn or want to get involved, it'll happen, but you just have to be present. And I know in COVID times, that's a little bit harder, but fall when we're hopefully doing in-person things again, um, I would just say go and try and you know, don't be afraid to ask someone. Uh, there are no dumb questions, especially in this world. You know, it's a it's a world of evolution and learning. I was on a panel Monday and for a conference and I was shocked at how much I learned from my peer group. You know, it was, um, we were talking about the same topic, but you know, I, I've been doing this for six years and I hope I had to do it for the next 20 and I hope I learn every day. What a great attitude. And you know, I feel the same way. It's one of the reasons I joined Kaufman Fellows a few years ago. I learned so much from the body of practice from venture capitalists. I mean, it takes a lifetime to perfect this art and no one perfects it. But if you can put together some of the best of in different niches, it's an amazing thing. It really is. And I think um, venture capital is so much a practice. You don't learn it from a book. Very relationship centric with getting that next round, working with your co-investors, trying to help bring the company along that it's um it takes the network i think especially when you're not in you know in the key markets in the bay area you know we are co-investors in deals together lisa you know in the west coast it's an arms race and i've got a billion dollars and i want this whole round in midwest southeast you know where we focus um it's a team you know that's usually two three four five venture firms all about the same size going together to do a deal um which is very different than probably a lot of the deals people read of when they think of venture well and i think founders per se don't appreciate necessarily that they have a choice in how they put together their round. You know, mm-hmm. when you've got your hand out for money and you're looking for the right investor, it doesn't feel like you have a whole lot of power in that negotiation, but you do. And one of the things that you can negotiate is room in the round for the investors you want beside you. Uh, there's very, very few VCs in the world, even top tier ones that won't say you can hold 20, 30, even 40% of a round for other investors that you want with you for the value they bring to the journey as well right. as the capital. And it's, um, why would a larger investor bring that up if they didn't have to they don't you know it's not in their yeah, favor absolutely but i think the right seed investors are really i mean of course i do i think they're critical to the oh, founder getting the network around them they need to grow so let's talk about those founders that have the the trajectory of success that kinetic is looking for what are some of the traits that you know with your behavioral analysis you've discovered are associated with really outperforming founders in the early days correct so you know what we do um we look at the ceo we look at the whole founding team and there's 22 behavioral traits that are behavioral profiles um, in our system. I'd say there's six that we think are good for a CEO. They're all uh, high leadership, but you know the thing within the leadership is the unwilling desire to you know unwaning desire to win. Above all else, that person wants to win and has one vision, one idea, and chases it. You know we look at winning versus no, I guess detail would be the you know the opposite side. Um, 
Um, Brad and I are a good example of this. Brad is a person that has a crazy desire to win and doesn't think about detail at all, um, unless it's critical to the business. I have the highest score of winning, but I have a high attention to detail. So while Brad and I are both flying high with a vision, I catch all of Brad's ideas to use, you know, a kind of a baseball term and filter them to be like, okay, we can do these three, but I got to do this, these six things before we can move on. Um, but it's analyzing the team in that nature to understand how they That's work. That's why you're the managing partner. So. Brad's the visionary. I'm the one that makes sure the, you know, that keeps thing, keeps things going and, and the details. Um, but yeah, it, it's been crazy how we look at it. Well, this is fascinating. And I know founders are always interested in character traits in themselves that kind of help them progress. So will to win, you know, commitment to win um, is one of those CEO traits. What are some of the other five? Yeah, so it's, um, they're, they're all high leadership, but, you know, for us and, and Lisa, you understand this, you know, especially I'm going to remove healthcare from this conversation because there's a lot of regulation and detail and um, thoroughness that needs to happen in any type of healthcare regulated industry. But for the broader tech CPG investment space that we play in, um, speed and deployment of a product are imperative. Um, The longer it takes for you to get clients or customers, the harder it is for you to win. So we want people that move fast and are going to market. You know, we, we actually analyze our entire first fund um, on Wendell X post um, just to see what would happen, you know, since we know so much about them and we learned a lot. There were companies that, you know, had the best product in the market, but could never launch it. And we realized that this person is a technician. Um, they're a perfectionist. They don't, they have a desire to win, but they care more about the detail and the perfection. Um, great CTO, great head of product, but not your CEO. Um, so th- those are things that we've kind of learned that the CEO has to be the person that's always driving forward paired with someone that has that detail and perfection to get the product right. But the CEO knows we don't need all of those things to be perfect. That's why I put healthcare out on the outside of this. Um, we don't need all those things to be perfect to at least launch. So that, that's kind of the big thing for us. I think speed of execution is, you know, to your point, extremely undervalued because you can fail faster and people joke about that, but it's true. If you can get to one to five and learn that it was the wrong direction and, and repost and repivot and go, go in a similar direction with the same idea and faster, you might actually find yourself winning the market. But if you're perfecting idea number one, iteration number one, you know, there's going to be some people who move fast around you who make that product increasingly irrelevant. Exactly. Interesting, interesting point. Is there anything else that's maybe a little that you find was less intuitive, perhaps, but actually really works when you're screening founding teams? You know, it's really making sure the pairs are right. So, you know, a visionary and an artisan are great together. Um, You know, you're, uh, I don't have all the names in front of me, but basically it's a wheel. And, you know, the top of the wheel side by side are both the most aggressive, probably not the best founding team. One thing we've learned that doesn't work is, you know, it's four quadrants. If your entire founding team is in the same quadrant, it doesn't work. It makes sense uh, in a sense that, you know, we all, each human is wired to think that, you know, you're a great person and, you know, you're, you're wonderful. So when I, you know, when I hire and, you know, find a partner, I'm going to find people like me. And that makes total sense. And, you know, we're, as humans, we generally, you know, associate with people that you see the world the same way. 
way, which is good. But you need, if you're somebody like, for my example with Brad, if you're somebody like Brad, while we both are in the leadership quadrant, we are on opposite sides of leadership quadrant. You just need that parallel to make sure not everyone's going in the same direction and you have people that are in the right roles. It's such a great perspective. And I'm, I'm not surprised to hear that come out. Uh, you know, diversity of perspective, mm-hmm. as well Absolutely. as the types of diversity that provide diversity of perspective. Exactly. They're not a nice to have. They're a must have for great companies. 100%. And I can relate to that too and how Valor is building our team. You know, Gary Pete, someone else in the general partnership with me and Robin B. and Faye, another general partner. We come from very different backgrounds, actually, professionally and different ways of solving the problem of is this a great investment? And so the disagreements about how we see something really allows us to seek truth together. And I think that that's been very helpful as we've been making investment decisions. Just that attitude of we all are truth seekers. We look at it very differently and have had different experiences in what would be successful. But I'm super compelled by the creativity at Kinetic about Wendell. That's a fascinating approach. How do you project it will be for you in five or 10 years? How do you see the future for the firm? You know, I think we go down this path. You know, I don't want to go back. You know, our future, hopefully, you know, we raise at least one, you know, one more fund um, and, you know, we keep expanding, but the fundamentals of using data and an unbiased approach, I don't think that changes. Um, I think it's really more of how we structure the fund, how we look at deals. Um, You know, if we hit $7,500 million fund, the check sizes change, you know, we looked at it and we didn't really want to go over 2530 for this current fund, um, mostly because we didn't see the ability to deploy it in a a response. Responsible way. Um, I think the tide has turned. You kind of mentioned, you know, come on out to you know the southeast. Um, I think the world's evolving. That these quote unquote flyover investment regions aren't as flyover as they used to be. I'm glad you know funds like ours and yours have that I call it first mover advantage in the market and have the brand reputation to still get in the good deals. And I think that's only going to continue. But I think you're going to actually see more investment in our regions than we've ever seen before. And I don't think that's I don't think it's a COVID trend. I think it's a a real trend trend in the market. I've heard it from my friends on the West Coast. They can't believe that the same company in Chicago or Indy is almost half the valuation as something they're seeing in San Francisco. I hope it stays that way. Um, you know, it's a great opportunity for us to, you know, for us and the founders to make a great, you know, great return. But um, I do think the investment activity in, in quote unquote flyover country is going to skyrocket in the next five, 10 years. Awesome prediction. Let me also just, you know, completely changing gears for a moment and going into pure founder-centric territory. I wanted to ask you your perspective on founders seeking the right angel investor. Because you come out of angel groups, you're embedded in lots of angel groups. I know you see a lot of that first check writing behavior. Speaking to the founders, is there any advice you'd give them about approaching angels? Like what should they be looking for? What is a good angel founder relationship in the Southeast right now in your perspective? You know, I think it's got to be someone that's value add. You know, we there are a, I want to say a lot, but it's a you know relative term. That there's quite a few people that write angel checks and angel groups. Um, you want to find someone that's aligned with you and your growth. You know, what I said earlier about aligning with the right investor is it's the same thing for the startup. Some angel groups can really you know hamstring you to a location, an idea, or you know a growth structure. You want someone that um, ideally has a track record of investing in an early stage company, helping them formulate and you know an MVP most likely, or at least your first alpha beta clients. 
and actually, and has the some resources to to uh, venture funds like mine or yours. Um, hopefully, they're maybe an angel and then also an investor in a fund like mine. Um, that happens in my fund all the time. Uh, our investors see stuff in other groups and send it that way. So I think it's really making sure they're more than just a check, and also what strings that check comes with as an early stage angel. Um, you don't want a fifty thousand dollar check in the pre seed to lock up a board seat for the next ten years if it's not the right person to help your company grow. That makes a lot of sense. Kyle, I really appreciate the time you spent explaining Wendell, how you source. And you said everywhere but Boston and San Francisco. Is that right? Yeah, that's yeah, pretty much. We've not only New York. Um, it's just really valuations and the amount of capital. You know, we just can't compete there. And I can't, you know, we don't really enter companies above nine million valuations. So um, a lot of the deals that we see from those markets just don't fit our fund. It makes perfect sense. You know what you need. And so it's kinetic.ventures. Hit the button that says apply for funding. Right on the middle of the page. And it'll take you no more than 20 minutes to get some kind of a response back. And call it three business days. That's fabulous. Thank you so much, Kyle. Look forward to seeing you at Startup Runway. Yeah, thank you so much. Have a great one. Thank you for listening to the Atlanta Startup Podcast. You know, we're not just a podcast. We're a community. And we'd love to see you at one of our digital or physical events. Go to valor.vc and sign up for an event that makes sense for you. We have events for founders and the investors who back them. Another event you might enjoy is Startup Runway. The Startup Runway Foundation is a Valor organization that provides $10,000 grants to founders who are women or people of color building next generation software products. Applications are free. And we'd love to hear from you at startuprunway.org. That's startuprunway.org. And as always, thank you so much to the organizations that make this podcast possible. Not only Valor Ventures, but also Right to Market, a tech marketing and PR agency in Atlanta, Georgia, and the Startup Runway Foundation, and Atlanta Tech Park, Valor's headquarters, and also headquarters for over 100 local entrepreneurs building global businesses. See you next week. Please bookmark the podcast and join us.